right, if you'd like to uh, turn your Bible to Mark chapter 1, then uh, we're going to start off where we were singing our choruses. Uh, we're talking about revival uh, and we're also giving testimonies about some remarkable things that have happened uh, when the gospel is preached. And uh, we'll pick it up here in Mark chapter 1, verse, um, verse 14. Now, after that John was put in prison, Jesus came on to Galilee, uh, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. So Jesus had been baptized and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove and then he'd gone into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil and this is the very next thing that happens, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent ye and believe the gospel. So that was the, the start of it all with the Lord going forth to preach the gospel. Now, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. They were fishermen, Simon and Andrew. Simon, of course, became known as Peter. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will, uh, I will make you to become fishers of men. Now, that is a powerful statement by the Lord. You follow me, and that's what you will become. You become a Christian, you're born again in my spirit, you become, I will teach you, I will make of you a fisher of men. It is who we become. Yeah. So revival is not some outreach that we go on occasionally. Revival in terms of the gospel and preaching the gospel and being a fisher of men is who we are. The Lord said, you follow me, you become a follower of Jesus Christ, filled with his spirit, then then you become a fisher of men. Uh, and, of course, that's what the Lord will make us. That's our DNA. That's who we are now in the spirit of the Lord. My talk tonight is our way of life. Revival is being a fisher of men is our way of life. It's who we are. It's what the Lord makes us. And we read there straight away that in verse 18, straight away they forsook their nets and followed him. So it was an immediate response to you follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. Straight away, that's what they did. There's no hesitation, and I think that sends a message in itself to us all. From the day you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you become a follower of Jesus Christ, and he will make you a fisher of men. From the day you get filled with the Holy Spirit. And he'd gone a little further, and then, uh, then, uh, then saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the ship mending their nets. They were fishermen as well, and straight away called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with hired servants and went after him. Same response to these other two men that would become fishers of men as well. So it's not about waiting until we have enough experience. It's not about waiting till we're old enough in the Lord and, uh, you know, know what to say or what to do. No, it's an immediate response that I want to learn, Lord, to become a fisher of men. I want to follow you. Um, and our prayer is always, uh, as we often do pray for revival, but it should be a, a very dynamic, fervent prayer, and it should be a consistent prayer. It should be the prayer that really is uh, regularly in our life, daily prayer 
that we want to be a fisher of men. That's what we want to be because that's what the Lord wants to make us. You know, the Lord gave us a great parable because they were asking, well, how do I love my neighbour? You know, that, that's a commandment. Love your neighbour as you love to stop. And, uh, okay, I don't agree, well... Uh, okay, uh, but, you know, he gave that great parable, didn't he, of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Come on, Ed. There you go, Zena, all right? How's your footy? Thinking the footy all right now? Yeah, that's great. And they had a pretty cooked foot, but she's okay now. Okay, so. Uh, we're in Mark chapter 1, sister, and uh, we're down to uh, verse 20. We're talking about becoming a fisher of men. You follow Jesus Christ, you become a fisher of men. And the Lord gave a great parable about how to go about loving your neighbour. That was the question. Who is my neighbour? How do I keep the commandment to love my neighbour? And he said, well, you go and find people and you make sure they get uh, introduced to the oil and the wine and that that is poured into their life, the Holy Spirit and uh, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ is applied to their life and they come to the end. That's revival. That's preaching the gospel. That's becoming a fisher of men. That's loving your neighbour as you love yourself. And Jesus said, this is a great commandment and you need to fulfil it. So, you know, it doesn't matter how you look at it, that's who we are. Now, last Sunday, Ollie was talking about uh, growing up in the Lord and he'd been to a number of camps over the years as uh, he's grown up as a young person going to camps. But once again... Those camps are there to teach us the principles of following the law. How do I be a good testament? How can I be a fisher of men? We're going to look at a great story of how the Lord gives us the classic example of being a fisher of men. But that is what going to camps and coming along and learning about the way of the Lord. It's always, you follow me, that's where I'll make you. I'll give you that love for your neighbour. I'll give you that compassion to go to them and pour in the oil and the wine. It's not about, you know, as I said, getting up for an outreach every now and a while and giving someone a pamphlet. That's good. And it's a great reminder about who we are. It's about, you know, who we are every day. Uh, verse 22, just uh, to touch on there, it says, And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. That's an important thing to... Always, always remember, you know, the power of God's word has the ability to convict and it is the only thing that will meet the need of anybody. Wherever they are in life, they need to hear the gospel. They need the words of power and authority. It's very, very important to always remember that, that what we have and what we've received and what we say and whether we say it in pigeon or not and whether our pigeon gets uh, wonderfully blessed by the Lord, so it really penetrates and cuts through and goes to a person's heart, that's very critical to the whole thing. He talked with authority. He was starting to teach them how to be uh, a fisher of men, and that is a vital part of it. If we go down there to uh, uh, verse 40, just to give you an example, at the end of the chapter here, a, a leper gets healed. A leper... Um, Coming to him, beseeching him and kneeling down, 
uh, to him and saying unto him, If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him and said unto him, I will be you clean. So straight away are the miracles, uh, of course, and the compassion of the Lord being shown and how he can restore someone's life, how he can heal them, how he can bless them, how he can meet them where they're at in life and provide their every need. And that's what the gospel does. And as soon as he spoke, uh, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was clean, cleansed. And he straight away, straight him, uh, and forthwith sent him away and said unto him, see that they, that they say nothing to any man. I don't know whether the Lord was using reverse psychology here or what, but anyway, uh, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest and offer the, uh, for thy cleansing those things which uh, Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. And that's what they had to do uh, back in the Old Testament. But he went out. I guess he got excited about what had happened to him. And this is how the gospel works. It's a chain reaction. He went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad. You want the Holy Ghost on fire, the gospel being on fire, this is it. Blazing it abroad, the matter, in so much that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city uh, but was without in desert places they came to him from every quarter. They so still got to the Lord uh, to hear the gospel. So this is revival fire going forth. And I believe, you know, here in this place, in this corner of the vineyard, Ballarat, uh, we need local people to be revived in this way so it could be blazed abroad and we could start to see the local fire. I mean, it's great. We've got a good assembly. We've got a great desire to preach the gospel. Uh, but a lot of us have come, have uh, been saved elsewhere. We'd like to see, of course, the locals really uh, come along. If you go to John chapter 4, I'll just tell you very quickly uh, what happened. Uh, just after we came to the Lord in 1981, uh, Barbara and I came to the Lord then uh, as a way of a testimony of revival. Um, Barbara decided to write a witness to her sister and write a letter. And even though we were very young in the Lord, matter of a couple of weeks or something, uh, it was a very extensive letter. It included Bible numerics and the pyramid and you name it. You know, you get excited by all these things. But nevertheless, the letter eventually reached Monica, Barbara's younger sister. And, um, and what happened is that uh, she actually came to a meeting, didn't she? Came to a meeting, and then she wrote a letter back to us, or back to Barbara, and it was a remarkable reaction. It was two lines. Don't you ever talk to me about this stuff ever again. You know, it was a very powerful reaction to the gospel being preached to us. She'd come to a meeting, she'd been pricked within, there's no doubt about that, touched by the word of God, and suddenly there was this powerful reaction against the gospel. Um, and, uh, but that's a good thing. Reactions are good things. You don't want an insipid response. You want the word to cut through the authority and the power of God's word to get through to the very heart, to hit the heart, as it were. And, uh, it certainly had with Monica. Um, anyway, uh, a couple of months went by and we were moved to Wyala and at the same time, uh, Monica got sick. Uh, there was a growth upon her tummy, uh, quite a, a, a troublesome thing, and uh, she was very, very worried about it. She came to another meeting, worried about this growth. 
at that meeting, she was prayed for, she was healed by the power of God instantly, she got into the waters of baptism, and she received the Holy Spirit a couple of days later. She had some good friends in Wyala. I'm talking about how local revival could really take off. And uh, she had some good friends in Wyala. Ramunda Hurtado was her good friend. She bounced into his kitchen so excited and so happy about what had happened to her that he just turned uh, Ramundo's kitchen upside down. Now, Ramundo was at that stage in life, and people are at different stages in life when the gospel comes to them. Uh, he, he was at that stage in life where he was about to go and do a bit of uh, searching and seeking for whatever meaning there was in life in India, and then he decided that he was going to build a mud brick house in Tasmania. This is before you were born, Liam, but I... Uh, and he'd make his own toothpaste and live down there happily ever after or something like that. And suddenly his, his whole life has turned upside down by this this person who's bouncing around in his kitchen. He says, I don't know where it is in the Bible, but you've got to be this and you've got to do that. And it's, I know it because it's happened to me. And uh, yes, I did the follow-up uh, a, a little while later and uh, Ramundo came to the Lord that same week that he was followed up. Ramundo went on to become a very strong leader in the church. He led a very strong young people's group who were, their main drive was preaching the gospel. That's what they were all about. And they saw a lot of revival and he led that group very successfully. Uh, in Rome, in John 4, so that's the testimony part, but in John 4 here, I mentioned that we want to look at that, the classic teaching from Jesus Christ of how you become a fisher of men. And uh, verse 5, John 4 verse 5, we know this story well. And it says here, verse um, 5, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, and near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, Jesus therefore being wearied, with his journey, sat thus on the wall, and it was about the sixth hour, and cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Give me a drink. Now this starting of this conversation has far-reaching consequences. In verse 9 it says, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. In fact, they were quite despised by the Jews and they were, you know, they just didn't consider them at all. So, uh, so the Lord here is teaching us. This is, a, as I said, it's a wonderful, wonderful, uh, study, I suppose, of how to go about it. And uh, the first thing is he engages the woman in a conversation, and that's critical. In any uh, witnessing, that's what fishing for men is about. It's about witnessing. It's about getting through to people. It's about engaging them in conversation as the, as the first step. That's what he did. Give me a drink. Yeah, just a simple thing. Uh, she, he got her attention straight away. She was a Samaritan. Says she had a lot of issues in her life as uh uh, as we're going to see in a moment, uh, she was, uh, I guess, um, you know, a bit surprised and taken back that here's this uh, Jewish man asking for a drink. Uh, she knew she 
Uh, you know, the Jews didn't like them at all. She knew that uh, her background, she'd been knocked around by life, so she'd certainly gone through the school of hard knocks for those that were at last Tuesday's meeting out east, and uh, she'd been knocked around by life, that's for sure. So maybe, uh, you know, self-esteem was down. She didn't think that he had much going for her, and suddenly there's someone paying wonderful attention to her and engaging her in a great conversation. So he had her attention is the point we're trying to make. And, um, you know, just by starting off with those simple words, give me a drink. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to thee, give thee the drink, they would have asked of him and he would have given thee a living water. Uh, the woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence hast thou living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank uh, thereof himself, and the children, and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto eternal life. The woman said unto him, Sir, Give me this water that I thirst not, neither come into the water to draw. Now the Lord's starting to introduce a bit of the the spiritual stuff, uh, you know, there's some things about the Holy Spirit, and he's gauging her reaction. How is she going to go? And that's a critical part of being a fisher of men. You've got to meet people where they're at and see how they go. You know, um, was it Linda uh, was saying uh, the other day when... Um, uh, when someone came to a meeting with her, he said to Linda, what is speaking in tongues? What is this living water? I don't understand it at all, but nevertheless, it sounds pretty good to me. So the Lord's put something out there, as we should, a part of our testimony, something that of how the Lord reached us and gauged the situation, see how they respond, and see how they react. We need to be reading people all the time because the gospel has to be relevant to them. It has to hit their heart. It has to get through to their circumstance and their situation. And that is what the Lord is teaching us here. So he puts out the living water, the power of the Holy Spirit, and uh, and he's got her engaged. He's starting to see that she's responding a little bit about uh, some spiritual things as well. And now the Lord is really helping us to appreciate how the gospel becomes very personal and very relevant for that person. And he's a master at it, we know that, but he's teaching us how to be a fisher of men and we need to learn of him. At verse 16, Jesus said unto her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. Uh, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, You have well said, I have no husband. To those who had five husbands, and he who no has is not thy husband, in that they say is truly. Um, so she now realises, well, he understands me, he knows where I'm at. He knows I've, I've been, you imagine going through five husbands, you know, and the impact that would have had in your life. And the guy that she's with now is not her husband, but she's with another man. Uh, she's experienced broken promises. She's probably... Uh, experienced uh, rejection and uh, hopes that have been uh, dashed and 
disappointments in her life, broken heart, letdowns, you name it. She's experienced it, but she realizes this man understands the gospel is reaching her. You know, there's not a lot of self-esteem, as we said before, but the Lord has connected with her, and now he's, up, he's getting her to appreciate. He understands. He has empathy. Number one rule of all communication is listen to the person where they're at and respond with some empathy, with some understanding for their situation. And that's exactly what the Lord is doing here. And she's responding. She's engaged with him. And he's really reaching her now with the gospel message. The gospel must relate to the person. It must relate to their circumstance. It's practical. It's, it's basic. It's down to earth. It's, uh, it's not full of jargon and, uh, you know, fancy words that we pick up here and there. It's, it's down to earth. It makes sense to people. People connect with it. They relate to it. And that is the skill, I suppose, of following Jesus Christ and learning to be a fisher of men. You know, uh, the Lord has what they need. That's always foremost at our mind. You know, regardless of the reactions, our Monica, the Lord has what she needs. Forgiveness, salvation, you know, love, you know, all the things that people need. The Lord made people with this emptiness within that they may be subject to hope that only the gospel can fill. Now, we know that, that only the gospel can reach them and fulfill their life and give them what they need. And therefore, you know, it's very relevant, it's very practical, it's very real, it makes sense, and we've got to bring it home in that way. I'll just try and wind up here somehow. Um, oh, I just wanted to uh, give you an appreciation of... Oh, I'm in line, don't worry about it. Uh, verse 21, oh, it gets too long. Um, Jesus said unto her now, he said, you know, the hour comes, now is, and neither in this mountain, uh, nor yet in Jerusalem, do you worship the Father, uh, you worship, you know not what, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour comes, and now is, when the true worshipper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. I love that verse. There was a time when uh, Barbara wrote to, to the editor of the Advertiser in South Australia uh, because there was a debate raging in the paper about whether God was a male or a female. So Barbara wrote this letter and quoted this verse, God is a spirit, end of argument. And, and the editor printed it, didn't he, in the, in the uh, letters to the editor uh, column. It was great to read there, you know, John. Uh, God is a spirit, not man or woman. He's a spirit, praise the Lord. Okay. Uh, anyway, I don't know how I got over any of that, but, um, so here it is. This is witnessing now, bringing home, you must be born again. Bringing home now, you know, whether that, that might take some time. You know, she got pretty excited by what she heard here. And, uh, I dare say whoever followed this woman up after Jesus had witnessed to her this way, she would have been ready for follow-up. Maybe she's one of the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost that received the Holy Ghost and fire. But follow-up is critical, of course. We know that. That be a fisher of men is you've got to keep at it. You know, it's not just uh, that people are not, doesn't necessarily respond immediately. But we, th these are the principles. This is the way to do it. This is the way Jesus taught us to do it. 
And so we engage with them, we hit the heart with uh, some bits of the gospel, we bring the testament that is really relevant to, to them, that, that really meets their particular need, whatever that need is. If we listen, we'll very quickly find out where they're at in life and what's knocking them around. You know, we know that we have the answer. We know that the gospel is real and it's practical and we'll, it will really meet their need. So we've got a, a job to really seek the Lord, as I said. Effectual, fervent, dynamic prayer. Lord, I just want to be a fisher of men, you know, and, um, well, the Lord, uh, I reckon he's guaranteed revival. He's guaranteed to make us fishers of men. If we do it, you know, I often think, well, it's a while since I've had this sort of witnessing happening in my life. I don't know about you, but in my life. And I, th- this is the best sort of, this is the, 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 the great witnessing. And it's not something that should happen once in a blue moon. It's something that the Lord wants to teach us to do regularly. It's who we are. It's our DNA and all the people say. Amen. Amen.